Did you know VIP season ticket subscribers have access to this workshop and hundreds more in streaming video, MP3 download, audio CD, executive white paper summary, and podcast formats? Visit vip.dealersedge.com for more information. the auto retailing business long enough to have seen a few business cycles. When business is good, and it has been very good for several years, dealership owners get a little loose with their money. Expenses grow, but that's okay because we're selling a lot of cars, and all those recalls are keeping the service and parts departments busy to get all that free money. But then business slows down, and the easy money gets harder to find. But those increased expenses are still dragging down your bottom line. So today, Jody Kippy and Steve Burgiski from the Retail dealer, dealer Group at Crow Horwath join us to describe how they are advising their dealership clients to slow down the trend of declining gross profits and rising expenses. Jody and Steve will share with us an analysis of key dealership operating expenses and which ones are right for improvement. They will present some innovative solutions and techniques for dealership expense management and we'll learn how to achieve profit improvement goals in spite of these adverse trends. Jody and Steve are with the Retail Dealer Group at Crow Horwath LLP, an international accounting and consulting firm. I'm Mike Bowers with Dealer's Edge. Crow Navigator, Pure Data, in the area of new vehicle safe supply. Uh, You'll feel excuse me, Jody, Mike here. Okay. May I break in and take a couple questions? Sure. Before, yeah, these have to do with the, uh, the personnel area. Uh, okay, first question. What are your thoughts about dealerships offering two different sales associate pay plans? One would be a salary plus unit bonus, and the other would be a commission based with minis, but eliminating the bonuses. Uh, that is the, you know, the, the typical fast start unit bonuses, et cetera, if you're on full commission. Mike, that's a great question, and I think uh, many dealerships are trying to get an understanding of what is the, maybe the best way to pay salespeople for the role that they serve. I think I heard somebody, and this is an unofficial statistic, that they view that 80 to 90 percent of their commissions are basically minis that are being paid to the salespeople. So one might say that they really are on a form of salary um, from that perspective. So I think um, it, it goes to uh, the dealership culture and how they look at that. And really, I think it, it goes to the concept of looking at a manager pay plan and saying, what is our targeted compensation for that position? I think you could apply that concept to the salespeople as well. And you might find that the factor was getting there just based upon a large percentage of the compensation and commissions are at a minimum, or many be. All right, next question. Uh you made reference to front-end gross and back-end gross for F&I and sales associate compensation. Uh, what's included these days in front-end and back-end grosses? You know, I think that it, the traditionally is the front-end gross being driven by the cost of the vehicle and the sales price. Uh, it does not include any of the manufacturer income. Um, and then the back-end gross is really the, you know, elements of the F&I. And I think that um, what we see in some cases is that um, there's 
the pay plan sometimes drive the behavior, in particular, um, of sometimes in the sales and F&I area as to how that deal is ultimately worked. Um, and sometimes you'll find, unfortunately, to the advantage of uh, compensation being higher. And so I think it's a continual opportunity to look to see if there's a right balance um, between those pay plans with the salespeople as well as F&I and how that gross profit is being derived. Okay, Ken, um, okay, when we're looking at, at front-end or back-end grosses uh, for, uh, for, cal for calculating the, the, the amount of the gross, are PACs included in that calculation or not? Um, my experience is typically they will be included. And how about manufacturer bonus money? Where does where does that show up? Um, our our experience is that that manufacturer bonus money is typically um, below the um, in, in other income, you know, below the line. Um, and I think that for the most part, you're going to see that that's pretty consistent from dealership to dealership. Okay. Um, and here's another question on uh, the the graph you showed. Uh, I think it was slide 14. Anyway, what it showed was a, uh, looks like for domestic dealerships, was a spike in compensation costs in, uh, I think it was June of 2014. There, okay, yeah, June of 2014, we did see this big jump in total compensation percentage. What, did something happen there that caused that, that we're aware of? You know, that's a great question. Um, as Steve and I were preparing, when there's nothing that we could think of in particular, um, that, would, that would, would drive that, but we can see notably it was kind of a plateau with that huge that huge spike. We saw similarly, if you come to um, the um, high lines, it, it, it's more of a gradual spike um, up um, from September, from March until September. Okay. Whereas the imports, they just kept going along pretty steadily at incline. Uh, in looking at overtime costs, uh, is, is there a, uh, a ratio we should be looking at uh, in terms of, uh, you know, a percentage of, of, uh, of total pay or of an individual's pay uh, that's accounted for by overtime? And, and is there another number, uh, percentage? Or something we should look at. At what point do you need to add another person if you're putting paying out a lot of overtime? Yeah, that's a great question. I think as I look to um, different different clients and in talking to dealerships, CFOs, and others, I think that generally speaking, um, there's an effort to minimize or have no overtime within the dealership. I think that there's certain times of the month. Um, or accounting as an example, where it, it probably does make sense to incur some overtime uh, during a month and close versus having those uh, positions there um, throughout the month and the year. However, there's opportunities to try to mitigate that too. So I would say overall, dealerships are really trying to mitigate or have no overtime. Um, and if you see that you do have overtime, I found uh, doing the analysis of just really seeing Let's look at the top 25 employees that were incurring overtime, and let's talk about why and what we need to do. And I, I think you can easily look at that cost that if you are incurring it and say, it might just mean that we do need another person 
where we need to shift some roles and responsibilities amongst individuals so that we're not incurring that overtime. Um, do, you, do you have a figure or, or a benchmark for how many employees we should have in parts and service um, sort of calculated on how many employees for every every dollar, uh, either a, a dollar of sales or dollar of gross profit? Um, I'm looking at a slide right now that I have here. You know, we looked a little bit from um, service advisor guides. Um, I think you need to be careful when you look at some of these um, measures because you got to kind of put into um, the framework of the specific dealership that you're taking a look at. Um, but, you know, typically we would say that um, a balance between not having too many service advisors, they don't have enough time to sell, but too many, it's too costly. Um, so I think that we need to find the right fit there, and whether it's, you know, four or five um, service advisors to those technicians is maybe a goal to look at. Um, in the area of parts, we typically look at that on the amount of sales that a, a parts uh, counterperson, so it's on a per-sales basis, um, not any kind of ratios. Um, so I, I think that um, those are the opportunities when you're looking at those positions to see, um, you know, has there been a creep in those positions, um, likewise within any of the other departments as well. Okay. Um, I think one more question before we have to move on. Um, in uh, sort of a related question in terms of how many salespeople we should have, um, at one time, there was was a uh, sort of a guideline that said you should have one salesperson for every 10 units uh, that you sell in a month. So a 100-car-a-month store would have 10 salespeople. Uh, is that still a valid number, or has, has that shifted up? Are we expecting more production from salespeople? Mike, that's an interesting question. I, I had that recently with one of my client CFOs, and, and, and my sense right now is that Within the industry, that's still the targeted goal, but we were talking about that a little bit more because when you consider the role that the VDCs play in and that it's taken over some of those traditional roles that a salesperson would perform, you would think that on the surface you could get more productivity then from your salespeople and um, that, that that number should be increasing. However, I think if you look amongst the dealerships, for the most part right now, you're going to see that that um, 10 sales per salesperson is still holding true. Um, but I believe that um, that's a whole area that uh, is worth looking a little bit more into in, in the dealerships and seeing what can be achieved there. Okay. Uh, those are the questions for now. Why don't we get back into the workshop, and then we'll get the other questions at the end. Okay, great. Thank you, Mike. So this slide that we're looking at right now is the video supply of new vehicle inventory for the median dealership. Did you know VIP season ticket subscribers have access to this workshop and hundreds more in streaming video, MP3 download, audio CD, executive white paper summary, and podcast formats? Visit VIP.dealersedge.com for more information.